0: Hello, and welcome to episode 228 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfor-Stewart. A warm welcome to Tianlin C to The Modern Manager community. If you find this podcast valuable, I hope you'll consider becoming a member, both as a way to support me and the show, and also so you can get access to even more content and resources to support your professional development. Learn more at themodernmanager.com. Today's guest is Hesha Abrams. With over 30 years of experience solving conflict and difficult problems, Hesha comes to the table as a world-renowned mediator, negotiator, and author. As an expert in conflict and pragmatic solutions, Hesha implements innovative approaches and thought-provoking solutions that obtain favorable outcomes for even the most complex conflicts, including mediating the case over the secret recipe for Pepsi. Hesha's new book, Holding the Calm, shares her secrets on how to read a situation to solve problems, eliminate conflict, and restore harmony. Hesha and I talk about what we do wrong that makes it harder to resolve conflicts. And she shares some of her practical approaches to addressing conflict more effectively. We also get into how to help your team members resolve conflicts between themselves so that you can foster a stronger work environment. Now, here's the conversation. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now, here's your host, Mamie Canfer Stewart. Thank you so much for joining me today, Hesha. I'm really excited to talk with you about this topic of conflict, because it is so present in all of our lives at home, at work, in a store, at a restaurant sometimes. Like there's just, we're surrounded by conflict. And I feel like it's one of those things that we're not necessarily so good at handling all the time. And yet it doesn't need to be rocket science, hence the book that you wrote and your expertise on this topic. So welcome.
1: Wonderful. Thank you. Pleasure to be here.
0: All right. Why don't you start by laying some groundwork around how you think about conflict in general? Just like what is conflict and kind of how should we be just thinking about the various types of conflicts that arise in in our lives and specifically at work?
1: Sure. Absolutely. So first of all, we all have egos and we all basically play bumper car ego and we bounce into each other. If you think like me, and we don't really look at the world differently, eh, it's not so bad with you. But with somebody else that we look at the world differently and we think about things differently, we smash into each other. And then what happens is we're all one trick ponies. We've learned one thing. We tried that one thing. And if it doesn't work, well, you're just a jerk or an idiot or a narcissist or selfish or stupid or, or, or fill in the blank with adjectives. And the problem is once those adjectives start... Now, I've labeled you. So now, from a neuroscience point of view, and we'll talk a little bit later about I can make neuroscience easy and accessible for people, is something called confirmation bias. So once I think you're a jerk, that's all I will see. I will see information to confirm my bias against you. And all that really happened is that we just are on different wavelengths. We're just connecting with each other in a very different way. And so what I wanted to do is I've spent 35 years in the trenches of human conflict. This is what I do all day. I do hard, difficult, challenging things. uh, And I've done every kind of possible case you can imagine. Now I do big stuff, you know, billion dollar type things where someone will say, you know, give me a billion dollars. And the other side will say, you know, here's a hundred thousand go pound sand. That's what I resolve and what I settle, but the tools I mean, I'll work with some big fancy, fancy, you know, CEO wearing a $5,000 suit and a $30,000 watch. And then late in the evening, he'll be talking to me about how his kid's coach at the fancy private school is awful and he can't get something done. Or his idiot sister-in-law, how he has to manage and deal with her. So the same techniques that use the big stuff works for everyday life. And I'll just give your listeners one quick visual analogy. It's almost when it deals with conflict, it's almost like we're cavemen and cave women shoving food into our mouths. And we say, well, well, wait a minute. Here's a fork. There's a spoon. Here's chopsticks. Here's a knife. There are tools that make it so much easier and so much better, but we don't teach it. We don't teach it in schools. We don't teach it in our real lives. And I'll tell you, everyone who's listening, it's not hard stuff. That's the reason I wrote the book is I wanted it easy. I didn't want you to have to go get a master's degree in conflict resolution or take some master class or get some special certification. You don't need it. You just need to know some of these basic tools. And then all of a sudden, your life is a whole lot
0: better. Well, I'm so glad to hear that it's not that complicated because so much of everything in life is so complicated right now. So before we go into these tips and tricks and strategies, maybe you can share a little bit about the things that we do wrong. Like what are the, you know, you talked about the one trick pony, we talked about labeling, but are there other kinds of common things that we instinctually do that are just making things worse that if we can at the very least stop doing those things, we'll be putting ourselves in a much better position?
1: Yes, and that's really a great question. So I like to use analogies. I am the analogy queen And, you know, everyone, the the Bible, the Torah, the Bhagavad Gita, the Buddhist Dhammasalas, I mean, the texts in Islam and all religions, all teach in stories. And the reason we do that is it's icons. We can remember things better when we have them as little icon images in our brain. So I'm going to be using a lot of them. And I give them to you. Take them. Use them with other people. You know, high tide raises all ships. So when I'm giving you, take, use, enjoy. So the first analogy is spaghetti sauce. We've all cooked with it. We all drop it on the counter. If you take a sponge and wipe it up right away, it comes right up, right? No big deal. You leave it overnight. What do you do? Scraping it off with a spatula. You leave it for a couple of months. It's old and moldy and gross. That, my friends, is conflict. If we handle it right away, it's easier. The longer we wait, the harder it gets. Now, you can still handle it, It will just be harder. And the reason we don't handle it right away is because we don't know how, or we're afraid, or we don't want to say the wrong thing, or we tried and it failed spectacularly. So we don't wipe it up when it's wet. That's what I want the tools in this book to be is literally, I wrote 20 chapters with 20 tools filled with stories and analogies about how to use them. So wipe that spaghetti sauce up when it's wet is the number one most important thing. Then the second piece is what I talked about with confirmation bias. You can't help but think through your eyeballs, right? You see through your eyeballs. You hear through your ears. You think through all of those filters. That's just natural. So we're not going to complain about how we see the world and say, oh, you have to see more or better or you can't. No, you got what you got, right? So how do we expand it? 10 degrees either side to where, and here, I'll give your listeners one quick trick. We'll do one of these quick ones early in the in the program. Let's say you have a manager you have to deal with, or your idiot brother-in-law, or your horrible neighbor, or your kid's coach, anybody that just triggers you and you just go, oh God, having to deal with you. Now, confirmation bias is gonna set in, right? And I'm gonna find confirming evidence why you are a jerk. What I always suggest you do is before the spaghetti sauce is wet, do it early, look at that person and think to yourself, would they pull my kid out of a burning car? Now, 95% of the time, the answer to that is going to be yes. Okay. So there's something redeeming about them. That stops the neuroscience train wreck of confirmation bias. It switches gears to where now you have to look at them a little differently. And then half the, half the time, they are a jerk. I'm sorry. People are bumper car egos. People have bad days, people have low skill sets, people have challenges and all kinds of stuff. But the other half of the time is you use the wrong tool. You don't eat, you know, soup, spaghetti with chopsticks. It would be a hot, horrible mess, right? So using the right tool, when you have more tools, you can step back and say, okay, well, that didn't work. I'm going to try this, see if that works. And then it's like magic beans. Oh my God, look at that. It actually fertilized the ground and it actually worked. Now you get a dopamine hit in your head because you were successful. You get this little oxytocin release in your brain that says, oh, I'm doing this right. This is good. And you calm down your amygdala, which is the fear and negativity center of the brain. It's two little kidney shaped organs above the brainstem in the brain that they get calmed down. Okay. It's much better to get things done when they're calmed down. So, That's sort of a a lot of issues to a short question because everyone knows what it is we really do wrong, right? We roll our eyes, we're dismissive, we shut down, we cross our arms, we refuse to talk, we label, we gossip. And we do all of those things as defensive mechanisms. But if you have tools, you don't need to defend so much. That's really what we're trying to talk about here with holding the calm.
0: Can you say more about the role that emotions play because defensiveness for sure. But I feel like there's also sometimes anger or sometimes kind of just, just other emotions that can be like bubbling up inside us that then color how we show up and just the whole conflict in general.
1: Well, you've nailed it that one too, because, you know, emotions are, first of all, it's what makes life rich and joyful But the flip side of it is it also what makes it painful and difficult, right? So there's a a guy named Seneca, who is the father of Stoicism, which is an ancient philosophical religion, which some of your listeners may know about. It's really pretty interesting. And what he said was, it's not the thing that causes you suffering. It's the way you view the thing that causes suffering. And so the older I've gotten, the more I now look at everybody with big emotions as an opportunity to diagnose. So let me give everybody another analogy. You go into the ER. Oh my God, my stomach hurts. Bleah! And you throw up. Now all the rest of us would look away and go, oh, that's gross. That's disgusting. Not the ER doc. She looks at it. Are there undigested pills in there? Does it smell right? Is it the right color? Do I see metal? It's a diagnostic tool for the ER doctor. For those of us who want to be able to handle conflict better, when somebody has big emotions. That's vomiting. And so nat- it, it, the natural reaction is to step back. I don't want to deal with your stuff, whatever your stuff is, crying, anger, frustration, stubbornness, you know, whatever it is you're dumping on me, yeah, get away from me. I don't want to deal with it. But if you can use that, I use holding the calm as a talisman or a mantra or a rabbit's foot. And I will say, because my amygdala will get triggered just like everyone else's, is you say to yourself, I'm holding the calm, I'm holding the calm, I'm holding the calm. And then by doing that, it actually calms your amygdala down, gets it to relax a little bit so you can breathe and create a moat between you and the emotions. It also creates a moat around the other person's emotions. Because if you're mature, you handle your own stuff and your own emotions. But a lot of people are immature. And they don't know how to handle their emotions. So they just kind of vomit it out on you. Or let's not even say immature. Let's just say having a bad day. You know, everyone's, everyone's got junk going on in their life. And they don't disclose it. You don't know whose mom's got cancer and who's going through a divorce and who just stubbed their toe 10 minutes earlier. I mean, you just don't know these things. But if you act with some level of grace to where I want to moat around my emotions... So I can choose to respond rather than react. I want to help you create a mode around your emotions so you don't vomit all over me. Now we can see what the real issue is. Again, it's like in the yard, doc, someone's coming in with blood all over them. They got to wash the blood off to see where the bullet hole is so they know what to do. That's a big piece of what this is. Now, I also want to say to people, don't think to yourself, oh, God, I can never do that. Oh, God, that's too hard. You absolutely can do it. And then you'll fail. And then you'll do it again and you'll get it right. And then you do it with someone else and then you'll fail. And then you'll do someone else and you'll be right. And you'll go, you know, I'm getting better at this thing. This really is helpful to me. And I'll give one more quick analogy. I've got a seven-year-old grandson and he gets angry and he'll get really mad and frustrated about stuff. And everyone's was trying to help him, you know, deal with the anger. And I sat him down and I said, okay, so when you're angry, does your chest hurt? Do your eyes hurt? Does your throat hurt? How about your nose? you got to blow your nose and that feels gross. How about your head? Do you have a little headache? Oh, so when you get really mad and angry and frustrated, you're hurting yourself. Oh, that's not so great, is it? And his eyes opened. It never dawned on him that he could protect himself by saying, and I've taught the kids, obviously, holding the calm, by saying, I'm holding the calm. I don't have to get angry. I don't have to cry. Now, sometimes you will, because you're human. We give ourselves some grace. It's okay. But more and more that you can wipe the spaghetti sauce up when it's wet, more and more you can create a moat around the emotionality that is part of the human experience, the more skills you have, the more power you have. And the more people will say, I just don't know how she does it, but she just gets people to listen to her. Or he just seems to handle things and things just get done. That's what people will say about you. They won't say, oh, you handled emotions really well. <laughs> they won't do that. They'll just say, wow, she's really effective. Wow, he's really good at his job. And that, my friends, of the holding the calm tools.
0: I love this example of your grandson. I'm wondering if you give us a couple more examples of conflicts and situations and people in action with those different tools so we can see how it plays out in the workplace.
1: And that's good because in the workplace, you know, people bring their everything and you have to kind of deal with it. So let's do a couple of different examples. Let's talk about the coworker that is just angry all the time. Okay. Now they have an anger issue. You can say, oh, you're a jerk, but then that's not going to help you manage them. So this person has an anger problem. Now, oh, this is an interesting analogy. I just thought of this and I've never used this one before, which is nice People used to have ulcers, you know, their stomach would get ulcers and they were incredible pain for decades, like, like almost like a hundred years, medical science said, oh, you're just very stressed out. You know, you're, you're creating that to yourself. You're giving yourself this terrible stomach pain and ulcer. And it wasn't until science finally discovered, no, it's a bacteria They can give you a certain antibiotic and it cures the ulcer up immediately. And so all these people were told they were stressed, which just, of course, stressed them more. That's the analogy for anybody in the workplace with big emotions. Let's say you got to deal with an angry coworker. Just think of that guy's got an ulcer. He's got an angry ulcer. We don't really know what the antidote is yet for it. So validation is the number one elixir. It's a magic beans. It's a magic wands. Validation is unbelievable. And the problem is, is that if I'm really mature and I'm not triggered and you're not stealing credit for a project I did, I could probably validate you and something you're doing. But let's make this the advanced course. Let's say the guy just stole credit from you or won't listen to you or... Is infringing on your space, or spoke badly about you, or 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 or, you can get angry and mad and do all the normal reactive stuff. That's a choice. Maybe that's a choice you want to take, or you can do a technique that I call VUCS. V U C S. And the reason I do that is because you tell them to go vacuum. Now <laughs> none of your listeners are going to forget that, are they? <laughs> that's why I created it that way. Because if it's got slightly risque and slightly dirty, you just say, vacuum. So the first one is V for validate. So the easy validation is, you know, you did a good job on this, or I know you're trying your best or, you know, that's easy stuff, but let's do the hard one. I don't want to validate you. I don't like you. I think you did a terrible job and you're annoying the heck out of me. I still got to validate this guy because it's the magic elixir that calms him down. So I, I validate if I can. But if I can't, I name the emotion. You seem like you're really angry. I'm not angry. Oh, okay. What are you feeling? I'm frustrated. Okay. Now I have data, I have information. And what I say to our listeners here in that exchange, who had the power, the person angry and yelling, or the person who's using VUX? And when you have power, your amygdala calms down. You create a mode around your emotions. Now, you have more power and you can do something. So now all of a sudden it's a data point. Oh, why are you frustrated? It may have nothing to do with you at all. And all of a sudden I have found that those angry, really upset people, when you vux them and you validate them, you are the new best friend because no one else, the radioactive. No one else will listen to them. No one else will talk to them. No one else understands them. You do. You can completely flip and turn the situation. And... I do this in I mean, real life all the time. I also do it like when I'm doing these billion dollar mediations and some lawyer will say, oh, we don't want that one. He's so controlling or angry or, or she's so difficult. And I say, absolutely, I want that person. And I want him right next to me. And one more analogy in The Godfather and in all the mafia movies, the guy that is your worst enemy, you put him right next to you. Why? Because who's got the power in that encounter? And the reason we don't do that is because we don't have the tools and the confidence to know we can handle that level of difficulty. But once you do, and this stuff is not hard, I'm going to keep repeating that. You know, that's why I wrote this book, because I wanted it to be easy and accessible for everybody to do this. All of a sudden, you've got power, my friends, and that helps in any bad situation at work. So I realized I gave you a lot of analogies, but not the exact analogy on someplace at work. So if there's a specific one you want, maybe let me know.
0: No, no, no. That's okay. Did, did, was VUX for all, is it just the V or are there other steps in it? So I want to make sure we get through the whole thing.
1: Yes. Thank you. VUX, V-U-C-S. VUX is validate, U is understand, C is clarify, S is summarize. And I go through the book in a whole you know, way, methodical way about how you do that. And somebody may be listening now saying, oh God, that sounds like so much work. It's too much work. And what I say to you is when a person's angry and has caused a big mess and a problem, that's old spaghetti sauce. That's three months of moldy, old, gross, you're cleaning up. VUX done properly, can be as short as five or six minutes and as long as 20. just depends on how complicated the issue is, but then it's done. It's done. You don't have three months of old spaghetti sauce. That's the part that's so beautiful. So the V is for validate, and I explain how validate when it's easy. And how to name the emotion when it's hard. You is understand, you gotta understand where they're coming from. Even if you think they are dead wrong, you still need to understand where they're coming from because they've got some power to do something. You may as well get free information from them. The yes is you summarize it. You talk back. So what you're what you're feeling is this, what you're thinking is this, your approach is that. Now, all of a sudden, who's in charge of that encounter? I am. I'm the one who's doing the VOX will be in charge, will have power in that encounter. And what I say to listeners, you know, don't, don't the first time you, you rode a bicycle, you fell a couple of times, right? Before you got good. The first time you tried to bake a cake, maybe it wasn't the greatest cake ever. This stuff takes a little bit of practice, but just a little bit. And what I tell people is that at work, you use your colleagues at work like they're guinea pigs, practice this stuff on them. So you develop the skill set to be able to use it on your family, which is where it really counts. That's where it matters is in family situations and friends, because that's your real life. That's what counts. So practice this stuff on the people at work and literally in your own mind, just go, you're my little Guinea pigs. I'm going to practice on you folks. And then you're going to get good at it. And all of a sudden I'm telling you, people will say, Oh my God, she's such a great leader. Oh my goodness. He's a great manager. You know, she just problem solves really well. You know, he just can get along with people. He can just get people to do things. That's what literally people will say,
0: I mean, I, of course, everybody wants <laughs> wants their team to say that about them. And I'm wondering if we can shift gears a little bit and talk about playing the role of mediator when you have team members who themselves are in conflict. And you're, the boss, right? You're on the outside of the conflict, but you're like, these two people, they got to figure out how to work together. Like they keep butting heads. Do you think it's appropriate for managers to try to bring those people together and play that role? Should we be back channeling behind the scenes, trying to get each one of them to use these techniques of holding the calm? Or are there other approaches that you suggest we use when, when we're not the one who's experienced the conflict, but we're sitting on the outside saying, oh my gosh, this is not good and this is not healthy on this team?
1: Well, it's it's a terrific insight because it's true. If you're the leader, I mean, if you're the parent and your kids are fighting, you've got an unhappy family, so you've got to make it good. The question is how. There are certain times when you should get involved, so I'm going to sit down with you guys and do it, but that depends on your skill set. How comfortable are you? How good at that do you feel you are? How responsive and receptive do you think the people will be to you? Then absolutely, you should do that. And that's sort of the easier way. Again, I want to keep going to the advanced class here and do hard stuff. Let's say that you as a manager think one is really right and one is really wrong, or you don't like either one of them, or you're just tired of the fricking fighting already. It's just exhausting. It's just exhausting. So you can bring in a third party, either a real mediator. There's most corporations have ombuds programs. I mean, there's all of the kinds of resources. So you bring in whatever kind of resources to actually help you. That's option one. But then here's, a better option because it's easier. Because as managers, the idea that we have to have another two-hour meeting to go over your complaints yet again, oh, for God's sakes, I'm exhausted. I've got work to do. I've got quotas to fill. I have things I have to do. It's exhausting. And yet that is a critical, critical part of leadership if you want to be a good leader. So one of the ways to do it, and what I would do, is you meet with them privately and you V-U-C-S. them. V-U-C-S. You so you now understand what the conflict is more about. And it's never the surface. It's never the junk that they're saying on the top. There's always subterranean issues underneath. And it may be three years ago, you cut me out of a committee. And so I've got like revenge issues happening. Like you just don't know. And people aren't going to voluntarily tell you that. But through Vox, you'll find out because you make it such a safe, good environment. People will talk to you. They'll tell you things you know, and I'm doing in regular mediation, I always say to lawyers, get free discovery, get free information rather than prying it out of someone's, you know, closed clenched teeth, you know, get it from them. So you've greased the tracks. You now you know what this one says. Then you know what the other one says. Then you do the whole, would you pull my kid out of a burning car thing? And would you think that they would pull your kid out of a burning car? And they'll be shocked at the question because they want it to say no but they won't be able to say no. It just It's such a strong, visceral analogy that they really won't be able to say no. They'll have to acknowledge it. All right, so can you tell me anything the other person has done that is good? Like, is there anything? And you start having that conversation. Then when you talk to the two of them privately, you say that information to the other one. I know you think that Jim is an idiot and hates you and is thwarting you at every option, but I think you'd be surprised to know that he told me how smart he thought you were and how capable he thought you were and how you really did a good job on that last project. What? He said that, what? And then you do the same thing with the other side. Now, all of a sudden, all you've done is tamp down the intensity of the emotion, washing away the blood so you can see the gunshot wound pulling it down to where now, okay, maybe you're not irredeemable. Maybe there's something we can do. Now, from that place, depending on what you've got, you can now, as a leader, have a conversation. There's a a famous behavioralist, and his name is Edward Maslow. And I'm sure a bunch of readers know about him. And he said, if all you have is a hammer, all you will see are nails. So you want to have more tools and an easy one to be able to ask your team members, do you think that an introvert processes information and speaks out the same as an extrovert? Well, the obvious answer to that for everyone is no, of course not. Well, then why are we treating them the same? Is Jim an introvert or an extrovert? Now, all of a sudden, I have to look at you. I can't label you Jim the jerk. I have to label, I have to look at you. Is he an introvert or an extrovert? You know, I don't know. I've never taken the time to find out. Well, step one, do that. Same thing with the other side. Now I see you guys as human beings as opposed to icons of anger and nastiness that I have created in my mind, even though you may have done nasty bad stuff. I'm not I'm not saying we'd be Pollyanna about this, but we're looking at is it an iPhone or an Android? What's the operating system? How does this thing process? So the first one, just because it's easy, is introvert, extrovert. Second one is are you a thinking, feeling, or kinesthetic person? And that is so easy to figure out. And visual, auditory, or kinesthetic learners mean that your brain processes information either visually or auditorially from your ears, or kinesthetic means you touch and you feel and you move. So 60% of us are visual. And then I think the next is auditory. And then the bottom is kinesthetic. And you know, in school, the visual learners who can read the blackboard do really well. The auditory learners who can listen to the lecture do really well. The kinesthetic kids are the fidgeters who are moving around and it's Jimmy, sit still in your seat. Stop moving. All you did was turn his brain off. That's all that actually happened. So looking at somebody and just asking that question. And here's the easy way to figure it out. You look for the verbs, you listen to them. And if somebody says, I don't see where this is going. Bing, bing, bing. You're visual. I don't like what you're saying. That doesn't sound right to me. Okay. Auditory. That doesn't feel right to me. My gut says this is wrong. Excellent. Kinesthetic. See how easy that was? All you have to do is listen to someone for five minutes, and I can tell you exactly what you are. Now, when I go to talk to you, if you're a visual, I'm talking to you in visual language. Let's say we're doing something and, I, and you're visual. And instead of saying, how does this look to you? I say, how does this sound to you? No one's going to rise up and yell and get mad. It'll be fine. It'll work. It just won't work as well. It won't have that ping on the golf ball or the tennis racket or the paddle ball paddle. It won't have that soft, sweet spot of ping. You got it right when you get their operating system. So literally, I've asked two questions that when you have to go interact with someone, Are they introvert or extrovert? And are they visual, kinesthetic, or auditory? Now I match my language for their operating system. You will drain 50% of the poison out just with that, literally just with that. And then the ancillary benefit is, boy, you got to pay more attention. You got to listen. You got to look beneath and underneath whatever's being, you know, blah, blah, blah out front. Now, all of a sudden, you can help your people coexist with each other. We don't have to be best friends, but we do have to coexist. That, that is a requirement to be on my team. And I'd like to help you be able to do that. Now you got leadership. You've got boundaries. You've got insightful you know, understanding who somebody is beyond just the surface. I'm telling you how this stuff works. If I can do it in billion-dollar cases, we can do this interpersonally with each other. I try. Pr- I, I promise you, <laughs> try it, everybody. Try it. It's really, it's just magic stuff.
0: All right. Well, this is where we're going to have to wrap up. And I want everyone to go out and try this with your colleagues, with your family, with everyone. So Hesha, where can people learn more about you and keep up with your work?
1: The book is called Holding the Calm. And the webpage is holdingthecalm.com. So it's calm as in C-A-L-M, holdingthecalm.com and the book is at Amazon and Barnes and Noble and bookstores and you know everywhere but what i did on my website is i have tons of free stuff i mean i the, the book is not my you know my job my my day job is i mediate but i want to get this book out there for people so i'm just giving away all kinds of free stuff so on my webpage there are interviews there's podcasts and i've started doing little 1 minute tips 1 minute video tips where if you sign up on the webpage once a month you'll get a little 1 minute video And if I'm more energetic, I'll send out a couple of months, a couple of months. It just depends how much time I have on just a little tip. And usually it's about the issue of the day, like your sister-in-law is pro-abortion, you know, you're anti-abortion. Okay. How do we talk about that and not rip our family apart? Little things like that that are not so little, right? So I'm going to be doing some of those. So holdingthecalm.com. We'll have everything you need.
0: Thank you again so much. So helpful to just put ourselves in that better position to be able to handle all the conflict that we face every day. Thank you so much.
1: My pleasure. Have fun, everybody.
0: Hesha has offered to hold a one-hour private Zoom session for any organization who purchases 100 books for their employees. And since I know that many of you work for smaller organizations or aren't in a position to make such a large purchase... Hesha has also agreed to hold a session just for us members of the Modern Manager if we collectively purchase 100 books. So if you found Hesha's approach valuable, I hope you'll consider purchasing her book for yourself, as a gift for your team members, or even for your whole department or company so that we can get that exclusive hour with her. This offer is available to members of the Modern Manager community at the patron level and participants in the Modern Manager Skills Accelerator. To become a member, go to the modernmanagercom join. And while you're there, check out the Modern Manager Skills Accelerator. All the links are in the show notes and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter. Find that at themodernmanager.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit meteor.com. That's M E E T E O R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rockstar boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at slash podcast. That's M A M I E K S.com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.